There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Competition never waits. Take your gear on the go with a custom pack built to protect it. Because any place can be an arena. Game on. The Tumi Esports Capsule. Available on Tumi.com and select Tumi stores. Hello, my name is Dave Hanrady and there will be no encore. Welcome to the revisit in which we go back in time to check out the Irish music scene, as it were. And this year is 1982. I'm joined as always, well, usually always, by Kieran McGuinness of Delorento's fame. Hello, sir. Hi, yeah. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. You look great. I do. It's a very warm day. We're all looking great. Yeah, I'm also, welcoming back to the revisit, Zara Hederman, reviews editor for State Magazine and contributor to The Thin Air and lots of other publications. Hey, yeah. Uh, how are you? I'm good. Uh, we also have Gavin Riley from Today FM. Yes, hello. And acclaimed singer-songwriter, Roshino. Hi. Thank you, you all. You say acclaimed for, for Gavin. Weird. I'm not acclaimed, though. I've, I have won nothing. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Only our hearts, Gavin. Oh. <laughs> well, the Harry Bow hearts. <laughs> which have been uh, suitably devoured. Yeah, you should have brought in two bags, here. Okay, so 1982. I wasn't born. Uh, I figure most of the table probably wasn't. And what was going on? Um, well, um, Ozzy Osbourne bit the head off a bat. Um, Reagan and Ahahi were in charge of their respective countries and Thatcher I think as well I mm. sure didn't write that down Prince William and Princess Kate were born the same year aww aww, aww. Falklands conflict aww aww less aww the Times okay Times Man of the Year was the computer which was one of the first times that they started doing all that kind of started getting all abstract abstract best picture Chariots of Fire the films of this year were amazing The Thing Blade Runner E.T. Tron Star Trek 2 The Wrath of Khan which is the best Star Trek film uh, Pink Floyd The Wall which Bob Geldof was in um, Poltergeist anyway loads of things like that um, Albums um, Prince 1999 uh, Thriller Michael Jackson Clash Combat, Clashes Combat Rock um, Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska Rio Duran Duran Pornography The Cure all that kind of area Ro- Roxy Music Avalon and then there was like Descendants uh, Milo 
And Dire Straits was the big album, Love Love Over Gold. Which I, Those films are really, really strong. Is that the year yes. where there was like, isn't there like a, a pub quiz question of like there was one year where the five nominees for Best Picture or like the four losing nominees for Best Picture yeah, were all know. absolute classics? I wonder uh, which... It sounds like it might have been around then because that's a really, really strong list. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I just want to talk about Blade Runner now for about an hour and a half. So. Blade Runner, <laughs> yes. That, that would be really easy, wouldn't it? But so Poltergeist good. is one of my favourite words as well as one <laughs> of my favourite words. Why? Favorite. It's the word polter, poltergeist. It's just awesome, isn't it? No? It's Say it. It's a very poltergeist. long word to not have the letter A in it. The, the, the there you go. Yeah, that's a German yeah. word, isn't it? But anyway, no A's are no use. That was that crazy. Was, that was a brilliant. Oh, the biggest song of the year actually was um, Uptown Funk. No, because <laughs> it's always Galway Girl. Funk. Yeah, it's Physical by Olivia Newton-John. Really? Yeah. yeah. Nice. 1982. There you go. All right. My favorite thing that happened in 1982 that I read today was that it was when Ireland's first crematorium was opened in Glass Seven Cemetery. It's very morbid, Zara. I just thought it was really fascinating that it took so long. It's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> like you, most things take a while to happen. If you thought that random nugget was really grim, then I'm going to completely <laughs> abandon my goo story about how I'm like a guy who had murdered two people was found in the flat of the Attorney General yeah. because then that gets really grim. Oh, that story is story. crazy. Like that is absolutely mad. The goo story. The goo is gross. Well, give it like a grotesque, unbelievable, bizarre, and unprecedented. Yeah. yeah. When I, I do like a 30 second crash course. Yeah, I do have like no idea. What you're mad, doing. crazy socialite called Malcolm MacArthur, who had never had a job in his life and who basically partied all day and all night based on money that from his father selling the family farm, I think, begins to run out of money and basically decides that the only way to fund his very extravagant social lifestyle is to turn to robbery. So he finds somewhere where he can buy a gun. He sees that this guy in Eden Derry in Offaly who's selling a gun. So he decides, right, I'm going to go down to Eden Derry and I'm going to go buy this gun and I'm going to become a professional criminal. Problem being, he has no way to get to Eden Derry. So he goes to the Phoenix Park. He sees a nurse out sunbathing on her lunch break from hospital and tries to steal her car. But in the ensuing melee and in confusion, accidentally murders the girl and drives to Eden Derry with her dead in the back seat, manages to pass guard at checkpoints, but gets away with it because she's a nurse. So she has like the little medic sticker on her windscreen. So all the guards presume that he's a doctor and go waving through and go, oh God, you're bringing someone to hospital or you go on ahead there. So, um, so he's got this dead person in the back of his car. Um, drives down to Eden Derry, meets the guy who he was about to buy the gun off, but steals the gun, shoots the guy, and then is now suddenly a double murderer. And this is 1982 in Ireland. There's no oh Kinahan Hutch stuff going on. Murders are fairly few and far between. And this is a respectable rural farmer and a young nurse. And these are the sort of people who just don't get murdered. So the, the country mm. is completely up in arms. Fast forward to a couple of weeks later where the same socialite guy, Malcolm MacArthur, is at a match in Croke Park, bumps into, I think, the Garda Commissioner or the Attorney General or someone the and attorney. is like, uh, what's going on? Like, what's, what's those terrible murders? Are you anywhere near to finding the culprit there? <laughs> and uh, the guy basically unwittingly reveals everything that the state had tried to find out about the murders thus far. Um, but because he socially knows, the Attorney General ends up just sort of going on the beer with him. And then when the guards finally begin to piece the whole thing together and decide that this is the guy they're looking for, they eventually find him high hiding in the Attorney General's flat. And it's just such a mad thing. And on top of all of that, the Attorney General is discovered to have like a suspected murderer hiding in his apartment. What does he do? Goes on holidays to the States for a month. It's the most so Irish sad. thing. Yeah. That's mental. And that was... It was under Hawhey. Right? It was under that was under mm-hmm. Hawhey because eighty two. You said that Hawhey was in charge, but eighty two was the year that had two elections. Yeah, so, yeah, so like Gerald in January, was in yeah. January, and then there was an election in February. Hawhey got in, uh, uh, the the, the it collapsed again in November. So did another one, and, and Gareth Fitzgerald was back in before Christmas. Right, they were yeah. mad, mad times. That's incredible. Madonna had her debut. You didn't mention. Oh, her. sorry, I didn't. Uh, that was probably because I hate Madonna. So. Oh, Do you hate Madonna? 
I dislike Madonna. Hatred of Madonna is a very visceral thing. Mm. I hate do you her not? I, honestly, I hate, as honestly. a vocalist, I hate her vocals. But do you but not think... As an act. As a per... Like, she's kind of like... I kind of, she's kind of like a vampire, you know? <laughs> but not like... in the is about to talk about the virgin prunes. But, like. not, but not like... Not for blood, but for like, you know... Where are you going with this? Other people's... <laughs> Keep going. This is a really nasty way of saying she's ageless. Oh no! Well, she well she looks she looks fantastic. No, it's just that thing and of she's like a klepto. She's, no, she just let, latches onto whatever the thing is at the time, and then mm. devours that, and then you know releases that, and then moves on to the next thing, and then mm. or like kissing Christina Aguilera and Britney on stage just yes for the yes for whatever the two thousand and two version of clickbait is. But I don't think so, I, don't, I just was. think that which thing described as iconic because that word's lost all meaning. Mm. Yeah, but anyway, that's I don't know. It's a rant for another day, is what it is. Oh, so uh, Madonna released now. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's the edit that we'll get that there. That's the edit. <laughs> I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna have your mention of uh, calling Madonna a vampire bleeped out, so the people will think that you said something much worse. <laughs> I'm gonna bury your reputation, McGuinness. Okay, <laughs> so uh, let's move on before we get sued by all kinds of different people. Uh, it is the revisit in which we whittle down a long list to a short list. We've got five Irish records to talk today, and they are in order. Uh, we have the Virgin Prunes. Which is Gavin if, Friday's kind of collective of the time. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, version prunes. If I die, I die. Mm-hmm. Van Morrison's thirteenth album, Beautiful Vision. Uh, Boomtown Rats, Five Deep, their fifth album. Uh, Phil, the Phil, the Philip Linnet album, uh, which is his second solo album, and Dexy Mid- Dexy's Midnight Runners, Two Rye A, their second album. Now, uh, I know at least one person in the room is not happy about Dexy's making the shortlist because of a technicality, Zara. I just think it's a bit bonkers that they're Irish. Yeah, they're not Irish. They're not Irish. And what I think annoyed me even more about <laughs> this is when I was doing uh, some research on them today, when they were, uh, when Kevin Rowland was getting this album together, he renamed a lot of the band members to sound more yeah. Irish. And I was like, you absolute chancer. And I called them oh. the Emeralds. I was so annoyed that I was like, I don't Okay, well, first of all, all right. Explain yourself, Karen. Okay. <laughs> Bearing in mind this is 1982, the troubles are in full swing, and national questions are really sensitive. Yeah, but okay. So, <laughs> Dexy's Minute Runners, right? Has have has looked. I looked at 46 different members. Okay, there's only one of them has been uh, consistent, which is Dexy. Kevin Rowland, right? He wrote or co-wrote every song in this album. He co-produced the album. He co-wrote or co-wrote every, every pretty much every Dexy's Midnight Runners song. Okay. He's one of the three-piece now of fixed members of Dexys. You know, Kevin Rowland is Dexys Mint Runners, mm-hmm. right? So Dexys Mint Runners is Kevin Rowland. He's Irish. He has an Irish passport. Let's be okay, Grand, uh, put down that tweet if you're listening, essentially, at this stage. <laughs> we, we've, we've sorted it out. Wow, uh, it's never been this contentious before, and we haven't even started talking. So before we get to the, the, the well, main... we get to uh, the, ma- the main event. You shouldn't be there. Real quick, what I will... Hey, hold on. He was born in England. <laughs> <laughs> so was he. Yeah, but I know I'm, I'm using your <laughs> argument against you in a hilarious twist. Jesus Christ. Um, okay, so Christy Berg didn't make it anyway. Do you know why? Argentina. Because the album's rubbish. That's why. <laughs> okay, yeah. Because we had Christy Berg in the revisit before, not as a guest, although if you're listening, Chris, by all means, come in. And um, yeah, we had Man on the Line, which turns out was a bit of a pop banger here and there. Quite fun. And yeah. then I remember Selena Murphy, who was the guest at the time, she was kind of cheerleading that record. She said that uh, she went back because she was so shocked at how good that one was. She went back to his other stuff and she was like, could this be as good? And she was like, no, it turns out it isn't. And I guess she was probably referring to the one that didn't make this list because fuck me, that was a tough listen. 
straight away I was like, I'm putting the foot down. He's not getting in. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. There's a, there a couple of there was a couple of those. Um, anyone listen to Mama, Mama's Boys? Uh, yeah. Yeah. How They're good. Feeling uh, with that? I, I was really perplexed by it. Um, it was a combination of the artwork and the um, the sound. It just as soon as I pressed play, it just totally throttled me, and it, it wasn't what I expected from Ireland in 1982. Yeah, I I, uh, I wasn't a fan. I wasn't a fan of it. <laughs> no. That's why they're not here. We'll kick it off with the Virgin Prunes, will we? Yeah, we'll kick it off. We'll, we'll get into it now. Okay, this is the Virgin Prunes. This is from the record "If I Die, I Die." Virgin Prunes led by Gavin Friday, an avant-garde master of the art. But uh, yeah, Kieran, this is a weird one, man. This is your kind of uh, your tier leading this one. I'm, I'm curious to see yes. what you think of it because I got to say, I was quite taken, uh, particularly with the first few tracks, because this sounded like it was completely operating on its own plane of existence. Uh, like it was very much a case of we don't give a fuck if you know you play us on the radio. And I wonder how much that was a deliberate standoffish tactic because this is this is theater. This is like vaudeville. This is like a very macabre kind of sound. Mm. It's clearly aiming to be kind of an art installation type thing. And I, I'm sure I hate using that word too often because I know it can be quite churlish. Uh, it can sound dismissive um, because a lot of modern art can be you know whatever you choose to make of it one man's trash is another man's treasure and all that kind of thing but for the most part I was quite with this I found it to be quite uh, engaging and I like records that kind of ask you to make a decision and this one did so where, where do you stand on it? Well, um, Virgin Prunes okay so this is uh, the Dublin Six piece uh, fronted by two vocalists Googie and uh, Gavin Friday generally either covered in blood or makeup or wearing you know you know, strange clothes or whatever you want Um I think it's kind of it's gothy, it's new wave, it's post punk. It's technically their first album, even though it, it, you could argue on one Wikipedia page uh, it said it was the third album, another said a second, and the third. You know, anyway, this is their first attempt at a That's full album. The sort of thing that prompts like a credible like edit wars on Wikipedia, where people are trying to like yeah. argue about whether an EP counts as a release. Well, the thing is, they did do technically album releases, but they were kind of yeah collections of EPs, and also as a band, they were trying to play with what the idea of an album was and and all the rest. Um, so if you don't know who the who Googie and Gavin Friday are. And they're school friends of Bono and the Edge, and they they set up a thing called Lipton Village, which is this magical place where they could go and be artists. And they gave each other nicknames, which is Googie, Gavin Friday, you know, Bono Vox, the Edge. They're all they're all nicknames, and everyone in the band had a nickname and all the rest. And they tried to have this kind of aesthetic where they they were you know unbridled by creativity or unbridled by sorry by the rules of creativity. Um, Saying that, you know, the album sounds very much like Pill mixed with The Cure, who were, you know, going around and big at that time. It sounds, some of it um, is terribly dated. Um, some of the keyboard sounds and stuff like that. Some of the songs are a little bit tuneless to the point where I am say they were amazing, you know, live. And I'm sure it was really interesting, but some of it's difficult to listen to. But some of it's really, I think, really good. And some of it, like one of the songs, Walls of Jericho, is 
like it could it could be a U2 song. It could entirely be a, a, a passable U2 song. And it's it's funny how it kind of works. But then there's a song called Pagan Love Song, which is probably their hit song. There's also their most famous song, which is probably Baby Turns Blue. Um, there's a song on it called Ballad of the Man, which is a piss take of Bruce Springsteen, which is really, you know, you know terrible lyrics and you sung in a ridiculous voice, which I'm amazed they left on the album. But it's it's up and down. But I think the thing that I like most about it was when I was um, uh, going through the album, I ended up watching some of the videos, like, you know, on YouTube, see what was what they were like live. And, you know, there was a video where Googie, you know, just walking around the stage with a baby's head, kind of pointing the baby's head at the audience going, ooh, ah, ooh, you know, and it's so pretentious and it's so ridiculous. And then Gavin, you know, Friday came comes in full makeup, you know, with a cigarette and he's kind of shouting and, you know, you know, falling around a bit in the background. And I was just thinking, like, what must this have been like to watch, you know? Like, I saw one of the YouTube comments, I'm not sure on that video, but maybe another one, was something like, they played my school uh, in 1981 and I, like loads of 15 year olds were just standing around going what the hell is this and I love that I think it's I think it's great I think a lot of these albums sound like you know apart from Van Morrison sound like people trying to do something different for of themselves but they sound like they're trying to do something different in that they haven't heard it before you know I mean sometimes that sounds like people singing in a you know, silly voice and things like that but sometimes it really works and uh yeah, I, 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 I recommend this album. I hope the YouTube comments also had stuff like, I'm 12 and I listen to this. <laughs> First. Yeah. 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 Come to South America. Mm. I can understand what you're saying about the experimentation part of it and trying out something new, but for me, I felt, especially the first few songs, it was just self-serving, trying to do something different just for the sake of it and trying to be so outlandish just to get attention or I don't know I just didn't feel like it was genuine those first few songs as I, like I could as you're saying I could see it live I, I felt like the, the first few songs were like songs that should have been pre- extended versions of songs on the album that were that could be performed live and you can you can feel that build up for the for the first like three tracks and but at the same time I just thought that was really sort of self-serving vocals and lyrics and then for the first couple of songs and then it got you're talking about Ballad of the Man that was the joke song I actually liked that song (laughs) and I I sort of thought it was oh well this they must have put this on to like to have a pop thing that that they could play on radio because the other songs aren't radio friendly at all and I thought that well, if that is the case, then they're even more sellouts because they're trying to do something different and then all of a sudden they all will throw on the pop song because that will get played. Uh, it's like, you know, we walk down to the river. Oh, there's a man. I'm going to steal a bike. I said, do you want to be in my gang? It's he said, so cheesy, no, yeah. I don't want to be in your gang. Like it's, in, it's intentionally ridiculously cheesy. Yeah. And it made sense when I read that somewhere. That, okay, you know, okay, obviously, that doesn't make sense. Because so d- does it feel like then, are they being avant-garde or is it just an outright piss take? Where they're just going in there and throwing shapes, trying to amuse each other, and then putting it to tape afterwards. Well, there's a, there's a lot of good melodies on the album. There is, um, and amazing, some of them are amazing guitar lines. Yeah, and some of them are sung really ridiculously. But yeah. they obviously have a very good ear for melody. Gavin Friday obviously went on to to do some amazing stuff. But their first gig uh, was supporting the Hype, which was U2's mm. previous band, and all they did apparently was they they sang "I Can't Get No Satisfaction." as slow and they played the whole thing as slow as they physically possibly could sometimes with like seconds between notes or syllables and uh, they just sang that was the, like 10 minutes of I Can't Get No Satisfaction that was their first gig they invented the uh, wistful cover version yeah <laughs> John Lewis ads and that but that's, a, like, that's amazing like, that's like that's not a band that's it's as if 
you two and them are like diametrically opposed. They're the, they're mm. complete opposites. You know, it's like one band got very very good at pretending to be pop stars, and one band got very very good at pretending to be kind of ridiculous in the way that you know art is or whatever. But like, let's be clear, like some of it doesn't work and. I don't like this thing of like, I'm going to do something arty. It's going to be me singing out of tune and shouting weird words. You know, there's a way of being really, really good and being kind of weird as well. That works and that's probably the best way of doing it. But yeah, where where it doesn't work, it, that's kind of what's happening. But anyway. Yeah, I feel like you want to be like, you know, an act that's bringing something to the masses or even kind of a niche area of it. Like, I mean, you got to kind of meet the abstract in the middle at some point. I mean, that kind of thing of like, is this a piss take or is it an avant-garde thing is the question I would ask about every popical island band and it's usually you know this is just shit but I mean it's kind of one of those things of like <laughs> like but it is though. can we like, get a bell like I just, <laughs> we can ring and go <laughs> I just find that like you know like I wanted to kind of go somewhere and like I like the opening kind of strains of this I mean particularly like because it sounded like the opening credits of a horror movie from that time yeah. period like it sounded like an Argento yeah. thing or yeah. something like that or even like those kind of early Nine Inch Nails frequencies as well going on I was like yeah cool I didn't quite coalesce into anything and again that becomes a thing of like you feel like if, if at the time you wrote a review of it, they it would be exactly what they wanted you to write. You know, they'd be like, "Yeah, you don't fucking get you it, don't man. Get it, yeah. yeah, you don't get it, man. It's all about the art. You're like, you're just a hack or whatever." And it's like so, but I do feel like it has to, you know, has to sit on the ear at a certain point. And I do agree with Roisin that like it doesn't quite come together. And then yeah, there is the thing of like, wait, is this the part where I'm supposed to be in on the joke? Are they in on the joke? Mm-hmm. Is there a joke? And but like I said, started about I do like that it had some degree of kind of connection and I did come away from it kind of wondering about it as opposed to it didn't just wash over me there is so a very it, yeah. there is a very yeah. fine line though between that whole thing of are you you know do you get the art now or is this just an inside joke that you don't get and is the is the art the inside joke or vice versa and it just it kind of feels like it's a bit uncomfortable there I, I never felt like I really kind of understood it maybe it's because I wasn't in on the joke I don't but know but it just you know, it, it, well, it, it felt like it would have been a, a really good jamming session but not necessarily other than to commit to tape for me I think th- there's a thing about albums sometimes and there's a little brother li- there's a little brother kind of, there's you know the confidence of a little brother confidence of a big brother you know or big sister or whatever and it's that thing of like a big brother's confidence can often mean that he's trying to be adventurous but he doesn't know what the hell he's doing but he's just doing stuff in a haphazard way but he's doing it because this is what I need to do whereas a little brother can often be safer They but they th- and maybe they're happy being not as you know not uh, not as weird and you two are like they're they're confident in themselves but their music isn't as weird they're kind of like a little brother where these guys are like a big brother when they're trying to be creative they're trying to do weird stuff do, do you know that kind of way it's like mm. yeah. um, that was really lovely Karen. that was really nice it was really nice yeah it was really heartfelt well anyway that's what I mean and like there's a couple of albums like this like that I think that kind of ties together like Van Morrison's very very safe but very confident in what he's doing you know it's like a little brother album you know well actually we're just about to move on to Van Morrison he sounds like this and you go through market town you'll be on the Celtic rain are you ready when the malice comes around On this early morning round Crying her away You'll be on the chocolate I'll let us cry 
So that's Van the Man. 13th album, you said, here. Yeah. Zara Hedeman. Yep. Talk to me. So this album, um, it came out after... Uh, the 1980 album Common One, which is often regarded as his most controversial album in that it had a 15-minute-long song called Summertime in England. Um, after that album came out, uh, he was brutally criticised for being colossally smug and cosmically dull, an inter- interminable and vacuous and dreary egotistical stab at spirituality into the Muzak. So coming back after this, he has very, very sick burn. Yeah. So he comes back with beautiful vision. Um, he's had some time where he has been heavily influenced by a lady called Alice Bailey, um, who was an esoteric writer who believed in the idea of oppression of, or like that there was a lot of oppression in humanity, um, and that there was a deflection of light and the truth. Um, so she was going on about, you know, mental illusions, which formed a fog that covers the spiritual warrior. Um, and also a lot of stuff about you know, kind of pretty dodgy stuff about race as well. Oh, really? What did she say about well, race? Well, she ha- she believed in the um, the rise of the Ar- the Aryan. Aryan. Sorry. Oh, there's a song oh. in it called yeah. Aryan. Yeah. yeah, and there's two songs in the album, Dweller in the Threshold and Aryan Mist, yeah. which are about the rise of the Aryan. And the rise of the Aryan will um, rem- will be a mix of all races that would remove the Judaism from... Uh, from. So it's not a mix of all races then. Yeah, but it's <laughs> like... It's just a profound dilution. <laughs> it's it's just weird. It's just weird. It's, and she's quite controversial. And mm. I was reading that and I was like, it just doesn't seem very Van Morrison-y, you know? I imagine... I th- yeah, I think it's the whole kind of like spirituality kind of thing he was more into because as well like I I read as well it said that like uh, from Morrison romance is religion and there is nothing more religious than a woman which is then kind of explored in the titular song Beautiful Vision which is all about like his new girlfriend as Mm. well like this album was heavily Wait was she his girlfriend? No 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 no, 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 no. She was like yeah she was a long time ago Oh right okay She was his Golden days His His muse His muse Uh Well his girlfriend was his muse Northern Muse. He had a lot of music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Omni Muse. He didn't yeah. tie himself down. Um, but yeah, I really liked this album. I think of all of them, not just because it was the one that I spent the most time with. Um, I loved it. Um, I think there's some really interesting songs. Dweller on the Threshold, I think sounds phenomenal. Amazing. The bass That's in it is song, yeah. incredible. The bass on this album, I think, is... Like, it made me so happy today listening Anytime that bass came in, I got so giddy <laughs> and I was so happy like walking around listening to it. <laughs> like bass as well on across the bridge where angels dwell. So good. Just got a tear in her eye. I do like <laughs> but also it features this album is interesting in that it's his thirteenth album. He's thirty seven. He's like been lashing out the music. But it's the first time that he's had a full instrumental song on one of his albums. And that's called Scandinavia. Mm. And that has like a really steady and slow build up. It starts off and it kind of sounds like it's going to be, okay, Van, this is quite mystical. It's going to go nowhere. How Six. many times has someone said, okay, Van, <laughs> <laughs> this is Maybe quite you should in, reconsider. <laughs> I think it's a fantastic album. And it went on then, t- like the 80s for <laughs> Van was like this whole new exploration of like moving away from like his kind of heavier sound and um, going to like Celtic 
Celtic folk, yeah, yeah, Celtic folk, and like American jazz and stuff. And he gets as each album comes out in the eighties, he becomes more spiritually synthy, and he just wants to make music that you can meditate to. And you know what? It chilled me out. (laughs) Slight sidebar, actually, when you just mentioned the bass lines, is that a common thread throughout like multiple albums? Because I I know not to go straight into mine again, but there's some mad proper post disco bass lines on mine as well. And I just kind of wonder whether. Just music in the early '80s. Just the, those mad boppy bass lines were actually just yeah. everywhere. Well, yeah, I, I, I think so. Is that like, too I mean, much of a blanket statement. Well, for the, obviously Phil yeah, in is a bass player, player, so like you know, it's going to be a lot of bass on that, and some great bass sounds. And he plays bass synth all the way through. And mm. and uh, the Boomtown Rats were really going for a kind of a more um, a kind of disco influence kind of thing. Tony mm. Visconti, you know. Mm. So I guess. I guess, yeah, is the answer. <laughs> I don't know. When I think of 80s, though, I always think of, like, awful sax. Stuff. <laughs> no, awful sax, sax, yeah. Yeah, sax everywhere. Like the Lost like, Boys, that bit? Careless Whisper. Whisper. <laughs> don't, don't well, that's, that's a good use of it. Careless <laughs> Whisper is a phenomenal song. <laughs> <laughs> time and a saxophone right <laughs> yeah. there, yeah. The, the, Quintessential. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, it's, I think it's really rich. I think it's really gorgeous. I think it's relaxed. Mm. It's really confident. Um you know, it's got a little bit of Irish influence in it. Yeah. And it's funny because as well as, you know, uh, Dexy's a famous Irishman, uh, Kevin Rowland, who was Dexy's <laughs> As well as that, he dig on Britain's Bran Morrison there. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Van Morrison said that he wanted to write an album that went back, you know, went to, he didn't want to ignore his Celtic roots anymore. I so. really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah so he was, he was saying that like. But um, it is quite religious at times. Um like the brass, the flute, all that kind of stuff just adds to it without kind of taking over, which is really good. Mm. But I think that he's got conviction, which is really good. He's got a lot of conviction in his singing because there are a lot, the songs are quite simple, mm-hmm. like um, Angel Across the Bridge, uh, where children play, is about his daughter who lives across a bridge. Mm. You know, um, Celtic Ray is about, you know, Celticism. It's it, a lot of them, you know. Is that the song as well? That kind of it's track, like yeah. he's yeah he's adopting the voice of like Mother Ireland. Yeah, and, and he's like he, the children like, are children. gone away. <laughs> children come, in come home. <laughs> I like. I was so thinking he going, like disco stew. Should, yeah, it's, it's a bit of that. And I was thinking I should hate this, but I was going, you know what? You're okay, man. Go ahead. You're all right. I can't yeah. believe that you're all dancing around the phrase Celtic mysticism. Sorry, Russian. <laughs> no. It's right there. You know, Colin Meany from Intermission will be disgusted yeah. if you're <laughs> yeah. it's right there. Oh, I do think that it's lacking a little bit of edge. It's a little bit safe. I don't think so. I, I'm, I'm, no, I don't. I, 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 that's what I, th- I, I hear it and I go, this is all lovely. And I thought it was lovely. Yeah. yeah and I mean, it. in the reviews I didn't, as well. But it's not it. bad. It's just, it's just, it's well, just a little bit too easy but funny you should say that because I'm so sorry it's okay guys so, sorry. The, so the village voice it actually did say when it came out the music is purely gorgeous or at times lovely but I like yeah okay it is lovely but I think there's a lot of diversity in the loveliness of it <laughs> no but I mean it's not the same kind of lovely that's presented throughout <laughs> the same kind of lovely catalogue of lovely I want a recent album called the same kind of lovely Father Ted could have a competition <laughs> yeah. of the lovely girls but all the different the fact songs. that it's like his 13th record though I mean like and coming like, like what 14 years after Astro Weeks which a lot of people would put up there as the best album ever by anybody mm-hmm. um, it's fascinating to hear someone kind of I guess try and reinvent themselves but I would kind of be with Kier on this one I do like it a lot but I did find like it got to a point when I was like yeah, like where's my log fire in the background? Like it's just it's very relaxing, which yeah. you know is can can be a bit distracting. Uh, Roshin, I really liked it. It was my number two on the songs that I listened to, and 
I, I really appreciated the whole immigrants view he was getting across and because oftentimes you, you do I think of Van Morrison I was like does he really consider himself Irish you know and he, his music is so far away from it like you know himself not, not what I consider <laughs> I consider him Irish he, he should be like a passport guy you know? at the airport <laughs> but I, I don't know I just really loved that he brought you know he brought in these like he brought in the bagpipes, but unlike Dexy's, like he didn't make it. Awesome. Yelled Irish. He yeah. made them jazzy bagpipes. He made them Van Morrison bagpipes. You know, and you know, I know what you're saying about is it too easy? But it is. I really think it's just a beautiful album, and his voice, you know, his just unbelievable. It's like a saxophone phrasing, like you know, and and the own that, that is probably the reason why I had it as number two is because. I feel as beautiful as it is, it, it is something that I would listen to and say it's lovely rather than Phil it, who I thought was unreal. <laughs> Which we'll get to in a while. Uh, sure, we'll get there right now. Okay. Uh, we'll dive right in. This is Phil Linnett from the Phil Linnett album. She plays it hard, she plays it tough But that's enough, the love is over She's broke it's hard and that is rough But it So that's from the Philip Linnet album. My apologies. And uh, yeah, there's even been some kind of discrepancy about his name before. I've heard people swear blind. It's Linnet. Not I Linnet. I think his mum says Linnet. She does say Linnet. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard her in the halls of Hot Press many a time correcting people. Um, <laughs> so it's the Philip Linnet album then, I guess. Yes. But at the same time, you know, if you're from Ireland, and I guess this episode is fairly appropriate for it, you're probably going to say Linnet. But it's not about the name, it's about the music. And Roisin, are you a particularly big fan of this record? Or what's the what's I the story am today. Here? I didn't know it at all. I would have only known Old, Old Town, which was the big single off it, um, which actually, ignorantly, I actually thought was a, Phil, a Thin Lizzy song, um, just because of my ignorance of Phil Linnet. And I, I listened to it, and you know, this is his, his second solo album after Solo and Soho, which was definitely more in the vibe of Thin Lizzy. And this album sort of came along and the first song completely blew me away. It's it's a pop album, you know, it's an 80s pop album. And it came, that first song is a fatalistic attitude and it just really grabbed my attention. It has this dramatic synth backdrop to this. Uh, it starts off with a guy going, good evening, you're on Nightline. And it's this conversation between two Americans on the radio. And you're trying to hear it over this synth and you're not really sure what they're saying. They're talking about she's a Christian and uh, she has you have you have to love your enemies and sort of talking about politics, but you're not really sure what it is. And then, you know, Phil's unbelievable voice comes in like Betty was a loser and it talks about this story and it goes into themes of suicide and mental health and, and world problems. And just that song just completely grabbed me and made me want to listen to the rest of the album. I thought it was really cool. And then as the album goes on then, you know, it changes. Yeah, it's a pop album, but it changes. Like, 
the Man's a Fool is like this almost like 70s disco vibe with like mm. funk and then Old Town which is absolute a beautiful song with this, these classical elements to it like you know Yellow Pearl which is it's like an 80s queen like aha-esque like synths and it's got robo voices going on it like it goes on and then there's like really like pop ballads like Kathleen and like I just I loved every song and like a little bit of water I actually looked up it because I thought Toto had ripped them off <laughs> do you have that written down? Well, it's, my favorite. it's like it's like it sounds just like the start of Africa dun, 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 dun. but um I, I really tried to figure out which one came out first and they were both mm. around the same time, but I don't know. I, I'm going to say it was Phil first, but anyway. <laughs> um, and it goes on and I, I I was looking into the album and I was I was like really surprised that it didn't really get a lot of uh, critical acclaim and even Old Town didn't really chart much. Yellow Pearl was the one sort of hit-ish. It became the teen tune to Top of the Pops and was number 14 in the UK charts. And... Um, I, I was trying to figure out like what what went wrong. Why didn't people love it as much as I did? And I am aghast to discover that Old Town didn't chart well. Well, I couldn't yeah. find it. Well, so the only interesting thing I read um, I read a review of the album, one of the first reviews of the album, and the, the you know they were going through all the songs and they were talking about the man's a fool and they were talking about the other songs and at the end they were like other oh, songs like da 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 and Old Town uh, also served the album quite well. You know it was yeah. it like I like it stands out from obviously because you've heard it so much, yeah. but it stands out by miles. You know, does it maybe stand out more because like the video has part of its own little iconicness because of how it's just all so archetypally Dublin and that we all kind of love him standing on. Uh, well, when I was putting this the, the <laughs> albums together I, uh, the fiddle in album came up and I thought that there was only one fiddle in it um, solo album which is Solo and Soho I didn't know that there was any more I'd never heard of this album and I thought obviously Old Town was on that album so when this album I hadn't heard anything about it didn't even know it existed and I thought it might have been a compilation because mm. there's a couple of compilations yeah. and then like yeah I really liked it as well oh, but the guests on it right Yeah, uh, Jimmy Bain from Rainbow Huey Lewis from the news um, <laughs> almost <laughs> all of Tin Lizzy uh, yeah. Midjur is it Midjur? yeah Mark know. Knopfler um, Melvin from mm. King Crimson and Mark Knopfler who's on this who's also on Van's uh, album yeah. so he was obviously yeah. doing a few things at that time but like you know this is I think this is a real attempt by him to go for it you yeah. know he's, he's going for it here he, and it's completely going away from the Thin Lizzy thing and he doesn't care and I think a lot of maybe Thin Lizzy fans would have listened to it and been like what this is a pop album but I think anyone who loves his writing style and he was just an amazing writer an amazing vocalist would love this album because even though it is a pop album it still has that that absolute honesty in its lyrics and sometimes the lyrics are very simple and even in a song like Kathleen which is probably my least favourite song and it's sort of like his other daughter was Kathleen his mm. his favourite daughter was, or his favourite daughter, his <laughs> favorite daughter <laughs> was Sarah obviously sorry to the um, minus children <laughs> <laughs> but you know he wrote I really feel like he wrote the song because he didn't want Kathleen to be upset like yeah. you know what I mean but and like that's how honest it is Growing Up which I think is the one about wasn't great well, that, those two are ridiculous I, I've, yeah. I've written down ridiculous. I, yeah, I sort of <laughs> wish they weren't the, on the album. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. kind of the soppy. Uh, growing yeah. up was probably about his first daughter because at that stage she would have been five or six, I think. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, it's awful, and it's they're both awful, but they they sound so throwaway and they don't fit for me at all. They don't. Yeah. But, but a little bit of water, old town, the man's a fool. They're absolutely they're <sighs> proper pop bangers, so and I think there's a there is a huge thing about when you're st- when you're in a band. Thin is you kept going, you know. Thin Lizzy were going until 1994, I think. So when you're going solo during 
a uh, when you're still in a band then the solo is the difference it's the things that don't fit your band it's the yeah. it's the it's the you going and diff- trying something different or whatever but when you leave a band like when Bob left the Boomtown Rats all of his solo stuff was because he didn't have a band you know what I mean and so mm. the solo stuff was just a continuation sort of so it didn't it wasn't that different and it that's what never really took off for for Bob that way but you know you can see this is him like trying to be different it's, one thing I didn't expect listening to this album, and especially with Old Town, I'd never gotten this before, but it actually made me kind of a little bit teary-eyed or something, mm. because obviously I was paying closer attention to his voice and the words and everything and how it was as an album. And I just felt that his voice, it's really, really emotional, and you can really hear like and feel a lot of the vulnerability and the fragility in the lyrics, Definitely. whereas... like. I think like a, a lot of people would maybe not expect that from an album from him because he had that such a cool image and like mm. the black suit and all this kind of stuff. But like, yeah, it was really uh, hit me in a way that I didn't expect. And I found it very, emo- not like very emotional. I wasn't crying. Is that, but, like, is that more pronounced because we know what happened to him afterwards? I don't know. I don't think so. I think like, I just think you like can his, hear it though. Because yeah, he was definitely. suffering very badly from asthma at this point because of heroin and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. And... So when it, the breakdown of Old Town happens, he's like, Abbott spitted my buddy. Mm. It sounds so like he's got a really, really black nose. Yeah. You know? yeah. I, I I always heard that and was like, I wonder is that because of the later on the drugs? Mm. Yeah. But obviously, who knows? But, but like, he might have just had a, a black nose. For me, I, I, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I really like the way, like even in Old Town, it's actually, the lyrics are so dark yeah. and they're really upsetting. And it's, it's hard to, when you first hear Old Town, to really get that vibe because you know there's that trumpet solo and mm. it's quite an upbeat song and it's sort of I really love the way a lot of his songs are like that the man's feels a really upbeat song as well mm. and but they really have these dark this dark imagery behind them and it, and I think after listening to this album I would definitely say he was most definitely struggling with with mental health issues and it was definitely glossed over because of the style of his music it's not depressing and it's like, kind of like know? a weird thing like even with you saying like with the this trumpet solo like when it's going off and it's so like jovial and you're distracted by that and then you're just kind of like it's really weird it kind of reflects how Irish people approach like kind of issues or problems by like trying to mask it with like a distraction as opposed to like focusing on it Mm. and then Sorry, that was a bit that's deep, deep and heavy Jesus the lyrics actually and it, like it's mad just for, for people who haven't obviously aside from their frame which is just this boy is cracking up this yeah. boy is broken down but like she hurt him hard this time you will break down she's lost his trust and so she must all is lost the system has broke down romance has broke down this boy is cracking up I've been mm. spending my money in this old town it's not the same honey when you're not around I sure miss you honey when you're not around like it's so mm. it's the sort of thing yeah. that you can imagine if you someone hands you those lyrics and you say right do a backing track for that and it's going to become this yeah, kind of somber, yeah, yeah. downbeat thing. You mm. don't have Johnny Fingers going up and down a piano sounding really upbeat and a very uplifting trumpet thing going on in the background. Mm. It's 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 jarring when you think about it that way, really. Mm. Uh, in the meantime, this is Boomtown Rats. Yes, me and Tyson, where we get on like a house on fire. But look at Kundalini, she's the one with the knickknack guys. She's only 17 and she knows how to make boys fight. And she's sitting with her eyes and she's flashing with a cut back smile. 
That was House on Fire by the Boomtown Rats. Gavin. Yeah, five deep, not V deep. This is like uh, this is where Ed Sheeran got his idea for all the oddly titled <laughs> album names. This isn't V deep; it's five deep. Uh, there uh, apparently, actually, there is a dispute around the origin of the name. Was it because it was their fifth album, or was it because Jerry, the rhythm guitarist, had just left a six piece and they were now a five piece? Um, I found a uh, thing on BoomtownRats.co.uk which posited an alternative origin oh, this, for the name. This, I read this. I'm going to read this out. The following all is a direct quote. I promise you, these are not my direct words. The title comes from a Japanese description of one style of lovemaking, four shallow, five deep. I suggest you Google that because I am not going to give you the full explanation. But basically, Bob thought, Bob thought it sounded cute. It's kind of their kid A moment. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> the, That's a big one. The, the, the nervous titters around the table. Um, like I was, I was saying before we, we turned the mics up, it's very much a, a band trying to figure out exactly what genre they're in because you played um, House on Fire there, which is, you know, a kind of archetype reggae track with just loads of, like, flange and echo on the uh, the guitars that it just really just sounds like it's a, you'd think, reggae band. You'd never think that's the same band that came out with I Don't Like Mondays or Rat Trap. Uh, but there's other ones there too, like uh, The Bitter End kind of sounds like a Duran Duran single. There's Talking in Code, which actually kind of sounds like the most archetypy 80s stuff you can find because yeah. it just opens with all this like deliberate synth stuff, which actually for 82 was, I think, a little bit ahead of its time. New Order before New Order. I yes. Yeah, really good way of putting it. And then there's other ones too, like there's uh, He Watches It All, which I thought sounded almost like Geldof was trying to do a Bowie impression. Oh, I thought that in never, so never in a million years Bowie, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I did think that there were definitely there was a few uh, Bowie ones in there. But um, Visconti did the production. He just finished. You know, the year before was Ashes to Ashes. The year mm. before that was Scary Monsters. There's loads of Bowie. In there's this. a there's a lot of Bowie in there. The ones that are certainly tuneful enough. Could, mm. You could certainly describe as Bowie. And there's, but there's a few. Also, there's also one thing I'm I'd be interested to see if you thought this. Talking Heads Remain in Light was 1980 and I think there's a load of that yes bringing loads of drummers in yes you know and there's a lot that, there's a lot of um, Samba stuff there's, there's one track here with uh, A Storm Breaks which was not one of the, the singles released and I, I put a little quick note on each track and uh, I wrote James Bond having an acid trip in Rio at Carnival yep. uh, and it kind of <laughs> I think that properly adequately uh, summarised where we're going uh, it's it's varied all over the place the, the, the final track the closing track sounds like it's um, it opens with Bob Geldof as almost like he's in you know that fast show scene of Jazz Club where it, like it's almost like it just fades from colour or from black and white into colour and Jazz is there saying Hi, welcome to Jazz Club. There with like his big delirious accent, and it sounds like the track could be like a beatnik soundtrack where someone is doing free verse poetry over it. Um, it's popular though. I think the fa- a lot of fans like that one. The the final track, uh, or the whole album. Sorry, I thought. Sorry, you're talking about Mick. Say hi to Mick. No. Oh, sorry. I was talking about uh, the little. See, this this is one of the yeah. There's things. a track list. Sorry, yeah. there's, because there's three different track lists because they mm. they put it back out again. And there's the one that's on Spotify is I think it's 2003 or four re-release. Okay. I think. Yeah. I think the um, last track were, was "Say Hi to Me." Yes, the, but there were two different track listings okay. for the UK one and then sorry. for the US one because mm. they put out a separate one uh, yeah, for the US afterwards. So I I stayed originally to type and I, I listened to the original sorry, UK. Yeah. Vote, yeah, give us your fucking money. Um, there's a general sense I think throughout the whole thing of like. We talked a bit earlier about how experimenting and it's a kind of a, there's a lot of soul searching, I think, on, on a few of the albums that we're talking about of people that are trying to get to the bottom of their own genre and try and figure out exactly what are their limits, where can they go, um, is what they started out doing, where they're comfortable to go now. I um, thought it was very interesting that um, Jerry caught the uh, rhythm guitarist basically quit the band before this album because he wasn't into the whole cod reggae thing that he thought they were going into. 
and of course the first single uh, Open Light was effectively that kind of uh, genre anyway um, but they're trying their hands at a lot of things and they don't necessarily succeed at any of them but are not, not in a I'm going to start that sentence again they don't uh, become world beaters in any of them but I think yeah. it's a very like a really good solid effort and it's the sort of thing where if they had made an entire album in any one of those genres you might go actually you know what that could be the best Irish ska reggae album mm. of the whole 1980s but it wasn't they decided to it couldn't make up their minds and I think it suffers as a result because it's a very diverse offering of work uh, but I just don't know if it's particularly good at any of the boxes that it's trying to tick I think it's slightly unacceptable and irresponsible that they've done like gone to so many different genres and sounds because it's their fifth album fair enough if it was their second or third album that they went a bit rogue with mm. experimenting but like it's five deep it's five deep <laughs> that was unintentional no it wasn't no it absolutely wasn't <laughs> But, like it's but irresponsible to whom? Like to their to fan their, base? Yeah, to their to label? The pe- to, to their whom? fan base who like are going to be looking up to them and who like pretend like mini Bob Geldofs in their bedroom who are like I want to be like this guy. I want to write music like Bob and I want to make music like the Boomtown Rats and it's just like sending them if someone like a fan like that is like really reliant on their like inspiration then it's just like totally messing with them and mm. then like leave it's, them it's, in the lurch it's, then it's, artistically. I feel like I should refine a previous comment by the way when I said it was their kid A I just mean that it's their total like right it's that's their, their fifth previous back catalogue yeah. let's, <laughs> let's just go away now I, I don't mean it in I kind feel of like kid A is good and I'm not sure this is like I agree with that in the fact in so far as like if it, the whole thing had had this Caribbean sound mm. I could have got on board with it but that like I listened to the first two tracks and then I was like well what's the single on this and I listened to the single and I was like what yeah. the fuck is mm-hmm. this like and I saw a, a performance of it on mm. uh, oh, I don't know what it was Top of the Pops or something and the performance was so ridiculous as well uh, uh, the fact that Bob, Bob Geldof like has a mic like over over here and he doesn't sing into it once he's miming the whole time but doesn't sing into the microphone and that really pissed me off <laughs> even more about the song um, so yeah if if the, it had it had, it had this linear thing going through it I could have accepted that as okay well they're trying something different but when it's like okay we're this and now we're this and now we're this it, it, was it, it just does end up being quite hit and miss the yeah. thing but that I, saw, I can't decide sorry Kieran the thing I can't decide is whether they're going through the motions or not because I don't know whether uh, if you go through the lyrics and you try to distill any meaning out of them whether this is an actual deliberate act of musical creation or whether they're just saying any old stuff that sort of fits the rhythm because if you look at the, the House on Fire which was the, the one of the, the main singles of it there's a verse that talks about how uh, I heard Tarzan outside playing the Jungle Blues uh, now Tarzan and me were like that we get on like a house on fire second verse is about a 17 year old girl called Louise who knows basically how to make the boys blush and the third one is a raw white angel executing loop-de-loops in the sky and now me and the, the devil we get on like a house on fire and there doesn't seem to be any kind of real well, meaningful vocal trope going on there. I read one guy giving out a, a review. And he's like, Bob Marley died in 1981. And it's like, and this is this. <laughs> this is what happens. <laughs> you know, and like, but here's the thing that uh, I, I read another thing about uh, the Boomtown Rats because it was actually I found it really interesting. I did a gig with, with Bob and the Boomtown Rats recently and he came out in a, a plastic uh, leopard skin suit and he shouted at the audience about. Is this one where he gave out a bit for wearing Primark? No, it was it was it was more recent than that. But it was but, kind um, of a similar, a similar buzz. He's yeah. shouting at everyone, giving out, you know, and it was amazing. It was like I could, like I couldn't. 
it was like incredible energy in the room, you know. Like the first couple of acts were very were very acoustic. It was it was a nice night. It was it was a, it was a, it was a good gig. It was a charity thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, the first couple of acts were were acoustic, and it was you know it was really nice atmosphere. But Glenn Hansard played, and he played. Um, and he's told a really long story about uh, uh, Damien Densey. It was lovely. It was very lulling. It was very calm, you know. And then um, then we played, but we played full electric. And, you know, it felt weird. We felt like we were, like, stamping in everyone's kind of buzz, buzz you yeah. know. But then Bob came out and, like, he went he went totally a couple of steps above that. Like, he was, like, shouting at people, you know. And it was like, I'd never seen that before. I'd never seen that Bob Geldof, you know. And this is the weird thing. This is three years before... Live Aid, you know, yeah. this is, uh, you know, obviously, whatever, this is sort of, new. I don't know if it's the end of their career, but... I'd there was one more album which kind of totally panned, which yeah, but actually, this again, one kind the of, British label refused to put out. And yeah, I think this one kind of was the, almost the end, like their last kind of shot at it, you know, and they've obviously got Tony Visconti and they spent money on production. They um, Anton Cor- Cor- Corbin did the photos, like... It's it's everything is just everything should work. Well, no, everything I think, should I think, work. I, I think it's everything. They just went for everything, you know. Yeah. There's no but narrative. Think, yeah, there's yeah. some yeah. great parts of it, but it just that's it. Yeah, look, I really liked um, talking in code and up all night. Um, Never in a million years. It's amazing. But like they're good. But the thing is that loads of the rest of them just made me. I felt like there wasn't a there wasn't a unifying conviction or they didn't know what they were exactly trying to do or something but I wonder if it's like that they f- there was a lot of pressure on them because they had had such big singles like I Don't Like Mondays and then they had to release an album and as you said mm. this like uh, m- most of the track list on this is like leftovers from th- did you say that the yeah it's that leftovers, it was like done from so the same session you don't know whether they were rejected. I really did think though you know uh, Gavin Friday and Googie and obviously the U2 connection like Van Morrison uh, Bob Geldof, Phil Innes, and you know noted Irishman um, uh, <laughs> Kevin Ronan. Um, like it's like real heavy hitters, you know. It's yeah. amazing. And we, we left it? out Rory Gallagher. What better way to segue into our last record? This is Dex's Midnight Runners. No, no, it's Dex's. I suspect you've heard this one before. Yeah, so Dexys Midnight Runners, now known as Dexys, an interesting band. Are they formerly now known as Dexys? They're now known, or they're, yeah, yeah they're, they're they're just Dexys now. They dropped the Midnight Runners. See, it's kind of a funny one because without getting too far into it, um, uh, Dexys Midnight Runners, it, there was a Mark One, a Mark Two, and a Mark Three on. It, so it was three albums, and they were okay. all slightly different lines. This is like how there's like the original Wolf Tones going that are different to the Wolf Tones. And yeah, there's yeah. like the Wolf Tone experience. Six six Wolf Tones, yeah. all traveling around claiming gotcha. to be Wolf Tones. But um, and then they came back in, and I think um. Then it was so different lineup wise to the original. They just called themselves Dexys, but um, it's Kevin Rowland all the way through. And there is there is a through line of people like Helen O'Hara, whose name was was changed um, uh, to make it more Irish, and Kevin Brennan, whose name was changed to make it more Irish. Um, they're still in it now, I think. So yeah. So it's a one man show. He's the Trent Reznor of the. 1980 yeah, he's the red. <laughs> but he's red. the one that gets the DJ sets and the grand social after all their gigs. Is that right? Yeah. He did a great interview with Hot a while ago in which he hung up on Olaf Tyrantson before the interview was over, and they put in the transcript. It was great. So funny. I think. I think. <laughs> yeah. I, I, 
Why would he pissed off? Yeah, yeah. What he was the breaking point? Essentially, uh, Olaf was asking about, like, he's like, so you enjoying the, the new tour? Enjoying the gigs? And he was like, I don't know. You'd have to ask someone who was there. And then he was like, well, you know, I just figured that, you know, from your vantage point on the stage, you'd probably... And he's like, listen, mate, I'm not enjoying this anymore. I'm going to go. And he was like, what? And then I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go now, Olaf. Bye. I hung up the phone. Oh, yeah. Jesus. With all the prickly Gosh. interviews. There you go. Like, you know, that's a license for, for anyone in this room to just, you know, if someone asks you a fairly straightforward question, hang up the phone. <laughs> like, what if it's a ridiculously long question? That you've <laughs> well, in that case, I assume the charm of the person asking that question would carry them through, Karen. <laughs> Does this record have enough charm to carry it through, though? I sense you're going to say yes, Kira. Uh, I liked this one, but I will say that it is, it's pretty much what you're, like, what you're getting on the tin. Like, you know, if you expect the album that has Come On Eileen on it to kind of sound like a lot of that song kind of split into different kind of atoms, it's kind of what you're getting, really. There's also a kick-ass Van Morrison cover, which I quite yeah, enjoyed. Really good, mm. yeah. And, but uh, yeah, it, it's interesting because, especially, like I guess, with their most well-known song, I, I love that it's the last song on the album. And again, it's that thing of, like, if you go on Spotify right now, there's, like, a super-duper deluxe edition mm-hmm. in which can carry you into, like, a two-hour listen. And you're like, hang on a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. So, like, some of, some, some of these albums, like, like part of the review is, like, going back, like, like, the way that we listen to music now, some of them need to come with some kind of weird disclaimers and kind of almost, like, pull-outs or something where it's like, no, no, you can stop after this point because it turns into a weird choose-your-own-adventure. And mm-hmm. that can result in an album kind of just blurring into one. I think this one just, just, about, uh, just about gets out of ten, though, kind of gets away from the law by the end of it because it is quite full-on and it is quite celebratory. This kind of to me sounds a bit like some of the Pogues records that we've done before and as much as it sounds like a band that are kind of daring you to kind of join them on whatever kind of weird jaunt that they're on. Uh, and yeah, Kevin Rowland I think it actually makes for quite a, I, I wouldn't say quietly charismatic kind of front man because he's obviously quite overt and boisterous. But does he get his due is what I'm wondering. Like, Do you think he gets his kind of the credit that he deserves here? Uh, I turned it on um, when it when it came up. Um, and I just, I just loved it from start to finish. His, his voice does it for me, you know. He actually, he, he, he didn't think his voice was interesting enough, so he decided to sing in a more crying kind of, you know, keening kind of way. And uh, th- his that style just totally worked. It became his, you know. And you know, uh, his first album, "Searching for the Young Soul," Dexy's first album, "Searching for the Young Soul Rebels." I think that's the right name for it. I'm not sure, but anyway, something like that um, is is excellent. Uh, it's got Gino on it and all that kind of stuff. And I I never went into tour IA because I thought, oh God, that's Come and Eileen, you know, I'm sick of that kind of thing. But actually, uh, I, from the first track to the 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 last track, Come and Eileen, um, absolutely loved it. Um, Jackie Wilson said it is an absolute standout. Um, let's make this precious another awesome one. And if you're you know if you've if you've if you've kind of invested enough, by the time it gets to track ten, and come on, you can you can have. Well, it. you got to invest quite a bit in that penultimate track uh, until I believe in my soul, which is seven minutes long, and it kind of has this kind of wavy vocal going on where it's it's quite repetitive. It, it's almost like loop like at points to the point where like you kind of get halfway through and he's made the point. You've heard the song and it just keeps going, and that can be that can be compelling. But in this one, I did find myself looking at my watch, especially because I knew what was around the corner. Actually, that's kind of what, where I should have started. I mean, like, round the horn. We've all heard Come On Eileen a fucking million times. Mm. Uh, round the horn. Do we all think it's a it's a great pop song? Is it an annoying pop song? I feel like like you, everyone has an opinion, so let's have all yours. I didn't find I it really annoying. Enjoy- yeah. <laughs> okay. Because it, it had been quite a while since I had actively listened to Come, Come On Eileen, and especially the whole song. Like, usually you just hear it in increments and it's always the same. Or in a pub as it starts rising. So listening yeah. to it from the start, 
And like I suppose well, because it came at the end, you were just getting more and more kind of riled up and really. Yeah, I think it, it's fantastic. It actually just uh, that kind of puts me in mind that it feels a bit like a gig where like you know that their their one standout hit is always going to be played in the encore. That you're just mm. in good form because you know that it's going to be just brilliant at the end of it. And that's kind of I think that's what a pop way. song sets out to do. Yeah. Like make you really happy and giddy and excited. Like. I think I think I would I really like the song, but I think I would appreciate it even more if it wasn't like taken over so much by the football crowd <laughs> like I think like that I knew that song first from hearing it at football games or yeah. something like yeah. or on TV at football games that's mental I think the lyrics are really positive though you know um, I'm going to do that thing where I read out lyrics in a kind of a, a faux, <laughs> faux voice come on Eileen <laughs> come on Eileen jazz to the Patrick no. <laughs> but um, it's just like um, the, I think it's uh, give me one second sorry um, so it's um the people around here wear beat down eyes, sunken, smoke dried faces. They're resigned to what their fate is, fate is. But not us. No, not us. No, never. We're far too young and clever. I just, I yeah. just love that. Like, I just, like, I don't know. It's just like there's a lot of joy in this album, um, where there isn't in, for example, the Boomtown Rats album, which for me is a little bit joyless. You know, um, there's a huge amount of energy in the Virgin Prunes, which which brings it. I think. But this, this just sounds like. Like I love when people are singing oohs and ahs and you know like like made up words and they're singing it with the passion of a lyric. I, I know that sounds it's like a small little thing, but I, I felt it. I felt I really like it connected with me. I felt the album, you know. Um, I could put it on in the house and I just it just put me in good form, you know, that kind of way. Mm. And uh, I had a builder. Um, uh, the builder stuck his head in, you know. And uh, I had two, you know, I had I had uh, uh, what you call it. Um, whatever song it was I think it might have been the Soul, Catholic Soul Brothers or whatever song was, was on you know Loop was mm. on it was quite loud he looked in I mean, he must have thought that I was like you know some like you know, <laughs> that's a trip yeah like you know I must have just seen really weird I had to do like it sounded like sounds quite Irish traditional you know and it yeah. must have just looked in I'm like <laughs> and you paint a tricolor but like you know you know what I mean like you often think with someone who only hears a snippet of what you're listening to and yeah. it's like I this was to... a headphones listen for me a lot of the time when I was yeah. especially when, when I was with people around me and I was like doing some work and I was just like hiding my Spotify <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I was like yeah yeah but it's really weird that like no, it is a great but it, you know this was going on and this is like commercial and joyful and mm. it's like Amer- kind of American soul in the way and mixed with obviously with our traditional but mm. in the way that the joy of that American soul whereas I think that like like for me the Van Marsen is kind of the soul like the American R&B soul of that is very kind of a bit pastiche a little bit mm. um, I thought it might sound unfair but ju- anyway look I just absolutely love Dexys Dexys was my first choice and the only reason that, um we can talk about it because you also voted for, but for and no, no one went for the version for it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I really loved the song "Old" on that. Yeah, oh, me too. That, that, written that down too. So and when it when it hits that, you know, you've had you, like I think it's the fourth or fifth track, and you've kind of had all the kind of upbeat stuff, yeah. you know, yeah. and then it, kinda, it just sits in a really nice place. And I felt like the string arrangement was a lot more honest; like it wasn't trying to be real Irish. It was just like mm. trying to fit with the song, you know, as much as as was it called Celtic Boy, the first one. Yeah, it was really lovely. Yeah, Just I really like that. That observation you made about how you l- really like when people sing oohs and ahs in a kind of a really emphatic, kind of meaningful way, as if they're like proper, like legit lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, as the two of you guys, as songwriters, are, do you ever feel like that's a kind of a, is it a bit of a cheat code by just sort of sticking in a bit of an ooh and ah to, to fill a line, or is it a, does it serve a totally different purpose? Is it a different device? 
I think it can be a cheat thing, like especially with a lot of pop music, mm. you know. But mm. if it's done in the right way, like one of my favorite songs of all time, um, Arcade Fire, like seeing them live and like, I don't like the words of the song are, oh, wake up, oh, wake up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and that to me, like, there's no lyrics, but it absolutely hits yeah. me in my soul. Like, one yeah. of the best songs, in my mm. opinion, ever. And so that sort of is the toss up. Conviction can sell you average mm. lyrics, um, you know, because the soul. Like the thing about it is, is you can't. You can, melody is the king, right? So melody is the king of everything. So you can have um, a, a song with average, average lyrics, but an incredible melody and an incredible passion, and it would be an incredible song. But you can't have a song with great lyrics and an average melody and no conviction. You, you can't do it. Doesn't work, you know. So like that's part of the melody, and it's just a vocal. It's just you're you're, you're singing as an instrument, and I think singing as an instrument when it's used well it's like it's amazing you know Definitely. like oh Gino is like the chorus of whatever the, the previous uh, uh, Dexys Minute Runner song uh, from the previous album you know and it's it's brilliant like you know mm. that's what I think anyway sold yeah I feel like this record wasn't even concerned about being cool and that's kind of part of its charm you kind of mentioned that you think Kevin Rowland wasn't terribly confident in his vocals so he kind of like did this thing it's interesting because I mean like it kind of reminded me here and there not all the time and not terribly overtly but just here and there of like Cahill Coughlin which we talked about before with Micro Disney where you're almost kind of you're really kind of blowing up that thing you're almost taking on a persona and whether it's out of nervousness or whether you, you want to kind of capture this character and I find that with Cahill Coughlin while clearly an extremely talented guy a lot of times it can leave me kind of feeling a bit like I'm outside the room Whereas with this one, it felt like, oh, yeah, like that could be like a house party you're walking by and like you'd stumble in and have a great time or something. Not that I would necessarily want to go party with Kevin Rowland or anything. Uh, famous Irishman Kevin Rowland. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like, the, the charm of this record worked for me. And as you said, the conviction, too. So it was it was quite surprising. It was nice. It's also nice as well to kind of come to, you know, what could be classified in a lot of terms as like a one hit wonder and mm-hmm. find an apparent album around it that is quite good from start to finish. Oh, like it's not just yeah. definitely not a one hit wonder. No. Sure. They've had tr- but to like the mainstream public, I mean, to a lot of people, yeah. it would be. Yeah, like, yeah, I suppose. Well, Gino was a. See, I didn't know that Jackie Wilson said it was a cover, so I was kind of disappointed when I found out that it was. Because you knew it. Because you heard it and you knew it. Yeah, you're like, I yeah. know this one. Yeah, I yeah. didn't. I... I mean, I, I actually, do you know something? I didn't know. Uh, I knew this one. I knew that Dexy's one, but I didn't really know the van one. But then when, uh, so I was like, oh, okay, of course I know it. You know, kind of way. But, but anyway, yeah, like, I think the fact that they're. Not, you, you asked were they unheralded. I, like, you know. I'm gonna go now, and I'll probably listen to Dexys over the weekend because I just, I, I just, I just hit something. I just got it. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, I just, I just, I just loved it. So could have hired a few Irish people though. <laughs> <laughs> and I managed to cross my line. <laughs> Would have had to make up the names. This feels like I'm about to go into like Springer's final thought territory. <laughs> Instead, I'm gonna take a break, and we'll come back, and we'll try and put someone at the top of this uh, very, very contentious bunch. Okay, so after much debate, I'm going to go with Dexys simply because it gave me joy. It gave me laughs. gave me something to think about. And uh, go Kevin Rowland. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for other ones, but that's my shout. Up next, Gavin. I am caught between uh, Philip Linus, as apparently he's now called, and uh, Van Morrison. And I think on balance, just actually because of its poppiness, I'm going to go with Phil Linus. Okay. <laughs> Phil and Dexys tied on one. I'm actually going to agree with you and I'm kind of torn between Van and Philip. I think though I have to I have to say loyal to my album and I would go with Van purely because I came to Van listening to this album. It was pretty much my introduction to Van. Shameful. Um and I really, really enjoyed <laughs> it. Um I loved I loved the song what's it called? Scat 
Scandinavia. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. And yeah, it definitely got me more interested to listen to more Van the Man. <laughs> <laughs> the Man. Sorry. Um, uh, I, I'm, my number one is, is Dexy's Minute Runners. I, I just, it just stood out for me so far, you know. I, I, I just, I love listening to it. Um, and I think, I think, yeah, it just connected w- with me and maybe just, you know, it's just the kind of thing that I wanted to be listened to at the moment. You know, it's summery now. I just, I just wanted that. I, I, I also really like parts of Phil Innes' album. I really like parts of the Virgin Prunes, but I'm going for Dexys. Um, I am most definitely going for the Philip Linus album. Um, he got me f- completely from the start and I feel like I know him after listening to the album and it, the whole album it's completely him it's all his he ties it all together with with these pop hooks and every instrument and includes insanely catchy keyboards and and all the time with his constantly honest lyrics and I just absolutely loved it it's a three way tie for first <laughs> no it's oh, not two-way no. Two-way. is it not it's two it's Dexys and Phil um, and uh, I thought Van got like a bit of a half shout Plus it's only a half shout. It's only a half shout. No. Sorry, Zara. Which still, which still puts... <laughs> you may leave the studio. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think by that token, I think the two albums that we're recommending are Dexys and Philip Linus. Okay, that, uh, that's good for me. That'll do. And uh, thank you all for coming in. Greatly appreciate Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Zara Hedeman yeah. and Kieran McGuinness. What Philip Linus song is going to play us out, Roisin? Oh, a uh, little bit of water, I think. Yeah, that's the one. Amazing. Okay, my name is Dave Hanready. This has been the Encore. This has been the Revisit, and this is Philip Linnet and that song.
this podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.